I've spent the past few days trying to um, soak up as, as much uh, boldness as I possibly could, as I have for the past few weeks, rather. Um, I, I explained last week about some transitions that we're going to be undergoing here. And, and one of the things that I, I really enjoy doing um, is sometimes, especially be, before I preach. So my, my goal was to preach the same message I preached last week, because I'm sure that after we got to the end of the message, that most of you forgot everything I said at the beginning of the message, and everyone walked away with just one thing. How do I know that? Because everybody only talked about one thing. Nobody cared about Moses. Nobody cared about the Red Sea. Nobody remembered anything that I said. All that y'all remembered was the church is going through a transition. So one of the things I like to do is I like to call out the elephant in the room, because you call out the elephant to the room, and you give it a name, and then you kill it. <laughs> All right. Um, so that's just that's just me. That's just my style. That's that, that's how I roll. Um, and, and so I, I'm gonna uh, j- just take like five minutes. I'm I'm gonna say some things that uh, some of my um, the folks who who give me good counsel um, and and who are my friends. I'm gonna say some things that they told me not to say. Um, and, and I'm going to say them, and, and, and I'm going to say them because um, I don't think that you all have, have come here and have been a part of what God has been doing here for as long as you have because you enjoy the sugar-coated, candy-coated kind of gospel, and it, it, this is real. Um, there's like real life, and, and I like church to feel real. If church doesn't feel real, then why should we tell people to come to it if it's not real? If it's, if it's plastic and if it's a facade and it's clean and tidy, nothing in my life is like that. So I don't want you to think that church is a separate thing from your life. I want it to be a part of your life. And so sometimes it doesn't look as clean as it should. If you come to my house, everything doesn't work the way that you think it works. Um, everything doesn't look as good as you think it looks because I clean it before you get there. Because I know that you like nice, clean, and sanitized. But if you come at my house on a day when I'm not ready for you, you got to wait outside for half an hour because I got to throw some things in the closet. Um, and, and, and so I don't want to sanitize anything. But last week, um, I, I explained that, you know, um, that we're, we're, we're going to be going through a transition here in our church. And, and, and the, at the forefront, I, I just want to make it clear, um, as, as I've told a lot of our leaders, when there is transition, guard your heart. Whenever there is transition, guard your hearts. Because it is in the midst of transition that God works powerfully, but his adversary also knows that there's vulnerability in transition. The vulnerability of transition is what brings you to God because many people come to God in crisis because there's transition. That's why many people, when their lives are kind of rocky, it's an open door for them to receive the power of God because there's transition. There's something different happening. That's why we do ministry in prisons and at abortion clinics and and in colleges because there's transition and people are vulnerable. But the enemy also knows that there's lots of vulnerability in transition. And so that's when he comes the hardest. And so I I warn us to guard our hearts as we do this and, and to not candy-coated. I want to thank those of you who've been praying for me, who've been praying for Pastor Abdi, if you can raise your hand, who's been praying for Pastor Abdi. And, and, and I want to thank those of you who have been praying for the church, who've been praying for the Doral Vineyard, who's been praying for the Miami Vineyard, who's been praying for the movement, who's been praying for pastors who are stepping out on something that is so radical that it just might fail. Because I can't stand up here every Sunday and tell you to step out on something radical and never do it myself. You, 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 you can't be a part of a church that tells you to give and they never give. You, 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 you can't be a part of a church that talks about generosity and is not generous. 
This is why when pastors in the pulpit stop following Jesus, they take them off the pulpit because you can't tell others to follow Jesus if you're not following Jesus. Many people have told me that, Denville, it'd be easier for you to transition this way uh, if there was a moral failure in your life because that's just easy for us to handle. But the fact that you're choosing to leave this church to go to another church and bring someone else in because of a bigger picture, these are decisions and it's really hard for us to swallow this pill. So I want to thank those of you who've been praying for us. And, and, and also, and I've been praying for those of you who haven't been praying for us. And I've been praying for those. And, and, and again, I just want to call out the elephant because I want you to understand where, where I am and where my heart is. I'm, I'm praying for those of you who haven't been praying for us because, because you need prayer, because it's, this is a hard transition. And I'm sensitive to that. And I understand that. This is my wife and I had months to deal with the transition of being a part of this church for eight, ten years and, and, and having gained friendships and, and have a bond with this church and have a bond with what God has done here, with what God is doing here. Um, my wife ha- has, has broken. Man, I, th- I thought I packed up enough courage to do this. Dang it. All right. My wife and I ha- have, have, have had the opportunity to lament the portions of our vision that we had for this church for the next three, five years, and to lay that down and to say, all right, God, what was this vision for? So we've already lamented over those things, and, and, and I understand that because it's new, because it's fresh, that, that for some of us, we're, we're having a hard time. But I say to guard your hearts. I say to guard your hearts uh, because there are some, as Paul would say, as Paul would say, I've heard some things. And I want to say to guard your hearts, um, and, and especially guard your hearts from, from speaking against other pastors and leaders in the body. Guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. Guard your hearts from, from speaking against other churches, other bodies. Guard your hearts. I want to call out the elephant in the room. I want to give it a name because I want to kill it. Because these are the places, these are the on-ramps that the enemy has to bring division amongst the body. It's going to tie into my message today because God is trying to do the opposite of this thing. God is trying to bring unity. And the, and the enemy would have you pick a side so that you could be a part of bringing division into places where God is bringing unity. God has given us a ministry of reconciliation that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. So when the enemy's pulling you to one side, you're no longer in the middle, and you're no longer an agent in the ministry of reconciliation. Guard your hearts. And, and how do you do that? How do you do that? I, I gave two practical tips I thought would really help. Um, Tell someone when they're gossiping <laughs> and pray for someone who's having a hard time. And that's all that we could do. Um, I, my wife and I have made a decision to follow Jesus. We've made that decision when we got married that we would follow Jesus. And, and, and sometimes it looks like this. Um, in between now and the end of the year, Pastor Abdi is, is going to um, have the pleasure, to be honest with you, of pastoring the Dural Vineyard. Um, and and I, love, I, I love the possibilities there. I love the possibilities. And, and it's hard, just so that you all understand, like I said, to take the vision that God has given my wife and I for Dural Vineyard and to say, what was the point? It doesn't make sense. 
And then to say, Abdi, at the same time, I welcome you because I believe that this is a season where this body needs you. And at the same time, I had the opportunity last week to spend some time at the Miami Vineyard. And, and, and to, to, to my surprise, there were people who were there who were like, we've been praying for you. And, and we, we, we just know that this is a season for you to be a part of this. And, and, this, and this morning, I was talking to other pastors of, of the Vineyard Movement here in South Florida. And everyone is just so excited about the possibilities. And we're talking about all the things that we're going to do together. We're throwing out dates of all kinds. We're, we're going to do this global movement together. We got this worship night ready. We got these outreaches ready. We're going to gather our people to do this outreach, but it doesn't happen if you don't guard your heart. It doesn't happen if you don't guard your heart. There's some bumps along the way, but I really, I, I really want you to just pray for one another, um, to, to be there for one another, because I'm sensitive to the fact that this is a difficult transition. And if there's any questions that, that you guys have about anything along the way, please ask Pastor Abdi. I'll answer two basic questions. The elephant in the room. Don't forget the elephant. I'm going to answer two basic questions. One, we're not becoming the Miami Vineyard, and I'm not taking the spirit with me because that's impossible. In fact, in fact, in fact, if I could take the spirit with me, you shouldn't have that spirit. If it's one that Denville could pack up in his pocket and take with him and have it no longer be here, that probably shouldn't be something you're following. The church is so much bigger than one person, and we, act, we, we absolutely believe that. And I, and, I, and I want you to believe that because the church is the body. The church is the people who come together, and you are the called out ones. It, it, it is the small, for those of you who remember the series I did last year about the church, it is a series of little rocks little called out rocks that come together and build one bigger rock. That's what the the church is. That's what the the word church means. Little rocks that come together to form one big rock. And that's the church. So that's, that's what I want you to think of when you hear church today. When I talk about church, I planned this series way before we, we had dates for this transition. And so my, my series is titled finish strong. And, and someone said, it's really funny and ironic. You should probably change it. And I said, no, because I believe it's lying up with God's timing. Um, and, and so today I, I want to close out this series, finish strong. Um, and over the next few weeks, you'll be seeing me, you'll be seeing Abdi, we'll be tag teaming again. I'll, I'll be here at minimum until the end of the year. And at the end of the year, we'll assess. We'll see how everybody's doing. How's the transition going? How is the movement going? How are we working together? Are we playing nice with other churches, right? Come on, guys. Are, are we playing nice with each other, right? Um, are, are, are we carrying this thing out? Are, are, are they treating me nice at the Miami Vineyard? Are you all treating Abdi nice here? Are, are we carrying this? And then after we evaluate at the end of the year, then we'll say, all right, what's the next step in this transition? We'll, we'll go back to the table and pray and ask God what's next and how should we do this. But I ask you all to pray for us in the midst of this. So we're in the middle of this series called Finish Strong. And Finish Strong is not about finishing altogether because you're going to finish at some point, right? Um, All good things come to an end. Everything is going to finish. In fact, for those of you who've been here for the past few weeks, um, I brought the avocado seed and I told you that when you plant a seed in the ground, it's the end of the seed, but it's the beginning of a tree. The end of a thing is the beginning of a thing. So it's it's, it's important that we understand that everything is going to finish. But I don't want to talk about finish and I want to talk about finishing strong. And I want to talk about finishing strong because you could finish weak. You can cross that finish line on your elbows. You're going to finish. You can, you can cross the finish line with an attitude. And you're still going to finish. 
I'm not saying to finish. I'm saying to finish strong because the way that we end things actually matters. That's why when you start a new job, they ask you how you left your old job. Because how you left your old job is going to depend on if you're going to get a new job. That's why when you leave the military, there's honorable discharge and dishonorable discharge. Because we need to know. That's why your new girlfriend, boyfriend wants to know about your old girlfriend, boyfriend. Because if you're crazy then, you're going to be crazy now. Because the way that you came out of that thing is the way you're going to come into this thing. Because the end of a thing is the beginning of a thing and they're all connected. So the way you end matters. Don't be breaking up with that girl on Facebook. Because, because the next one will know, right? So the way that we end things actually matter. And, and, and there's three things we, we talked about in finishing strong. Three things that, that I believe is necessary for us to finish strong. And this is one of those messages that honestly, um, I'm not ready to preach yet. I, there's a method I, I, I have when the Lord gives me a revelation on a thing. I like to sit on it and let it just work in me for a few months. And then after a few months, I, I have the language for it and I preach it. But I don't have all the language for this yet. So you guys have to give me some time because I'm still working through it. But I do believe that this is the time to actually share this message. Three things we need to finish strong. Endurance, courage, and character. Endurance, courage, and character. This is not about finishing in general. This is about finishing strong. Endurance, courage, and character. And the first week I talked about endurance in a message called From Beginning to End. And in that message I said that if, if you get stuck in the middle of a thing, if you feel stuck whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your life, whether it's in your job, whether it's in your church, if you feel stuck at some point, the, way, the model that God has given us is that you go back to the beginning where you set up monuments because at the beginning of the thing, there's momentum for where you started. And so you go back to where you had the momentum to start in the first place. And you just kind of think back. You, you, you go back to the Jordan and you remember the freedom. You go back to, to, to the opposite side of the Red Sea and you remember why God did what he did. And that will give you the momentum. If you start following Jesus and you're not sure why, you go back to why he called you in the first place. And you remember, this is why he called me. He called me so that he could use me. And it gives you the momentum to move forward again because the beginning of a thing is the end of a thing because life is circular. Life is circular. I explain the fact that God exists in this triune person. Theologically, we understand God is Father, Spirit, and Son, and he exists in this perfect love relationship where they're all loving each other. I decided that I want to start off probably every message that I ever preach from here on out with this revelation because this is the beginning of all things. And God exists in the triune fashion of Father, Spirit, and Son, and they're perfectly loving each other. And, 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 and God, loves him, God loves himself within himself so much that if he didn't exist this way, he couldn't be God and be love because love can't exist in isolation. You can't love yourself because you need to love another. And that's why God is this triune being. And in this triune being, God doesn't need time to express himself. So he, ex- he exists outside of time and, and he's this perfect unity of love. And out of this perfect unity of love, God creates. So the Bible says, in the beginning, God. And that's what this is. In the beginning, God. He just was. He didn't need time to have definition. In fact, he defines time. He didn't need you to define him because he defines you. He, was all, he always was. He always will be. He always exists. He exists beyond time. In fact, it takes time to, to, to see how God works for us to come to the revelation of who God is. I hope you had your breakfast this morning because I have a lot here, right? There, there, it, 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 it takes time for us to see what God created so that we can understand the man, the God who created it. Because it's when we look at the attributes of creation that we can see, oh, it, he did this and he did this and, and, and he's like this. That's why Jesus talks in parables. He, he says, it's like a seed and it's like the birth 
And it's like the ground and it's like water and it's like wind. And the things within time helps us to define the God who created something outside of time. This is why faith is so important because God would have stepped out on nothing, which is what faith is, by the way. You step out on the thing you can't see. And when you step out on nothing, God says he speaks things that aren't as if they were. And he steps out on nothing and it becomes something. So in the beginning, God said, he spoke. And when God says something, the God who exists in this circular form, he speaks and he speaks in circles. And he said, let there be light. And the sun came, which is, which is a sphere, which is a dimensional circle. And, and he created the circle, created a circle. In fact, even if you think about the atom, before God created Adam, there was an atom. And the atom existed in this same circular form because if the nucleus of an atom is the protons and neutrons and around it is moving in a circle, the, the electrons and, and, and everything is made up of this atom. And so the, 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 the circulation here creates the circulation there. And then he says, let there be an earth. And the earth came out in the same kind of a circular movement. And then the earth started to circle around the sun. And as the earth is circling around the sun, the earth also moves on its own axis, which is a circle. And it's moving so quickly that it creates gravity, which holds all things together. He holds all things together. And it also creates time. Time. That's how time is. Time is about the axis and rotating around the earth. I know this is really scientific for those of you who don't care, but it's okay, right? And, it, and this is how time is created. So he creates time in circles. That's why your clock moves in a circle as it goes around. This is why everything moves in circular. And then he creates cycles, which cycles is the picture of circles because your blood moves in a circular form through your veins and it's a cycle of circles. When you breathe in your respiratory system, it is a cycle of circles that's happening. And everything moves in this end and beginning and end and beginning and end and beginning. The end and beginning, the end and beginning, the end and beginning. The end of a life in the womb is the beginning of your life. The end and beginning. He exists in circles. You take a seed, you put it in the ground. It's the end of the seed. It's the beginning of of another thing. And then you have a forest. And and on this forest, there's lots of fruit with more seeds, but they have to come to an end to create new beginning because God exists in circles and cycles. It's important that you get this for where we're going to go. Endurance. That's how you get endurance. You go back to the beginning. You go back to where he started because the place that he started, it's close to the end of where he's beginning. If you don't know what to do with a seed, you look at a tree and you get the motivation to put a seed in the ground. If you're in a desert, it's hard to put a seed in the ground because there's no revelation of a tree. But if you go to a forest and you look at the trees, it says, man, I could see the end of a thing. So I know what to do with the beginning of a thing. And I could put my seed in the ground. It's just motivation for endurance. And, and Hebrews 11:1 says that faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And this is what it takes because it takes faith. I want you to grasp this. It takes faith for you to see something that is not yet and to have enough motivation to end the thing that is, to have the thing that is to come. It it, it, it takes faith for us to see something that has not yet begun, to believe it to such a degree that you finish the thing that you're in with endurance. It's like saying, I don't know what's on the other side, but I have faith in what God has said. And so I want to run fast and break through the wall. I'm going to break through the wall, even though I don't know what's there, but faith has given me vision beyond the wall. And so my endurance is going to cost me to run, to break through the wall, even though I don't know what's beyond the wall. And so from beginning to end, to have the endurance, it takes faith to have the endurance to finish strong. It's not about finishing. It's about finishing strong. It's about coming to the end of your seasons with strength so that you can begin your next season with strength. And your life is all about seasons. It's all about the movement of seasons. Because in time, time is just a pattern of seasons. 
you measure your life in years, but we measure years in seasons. And so when we say 2,000 years ago, we're, we're really talking about seasons, but we just measure them in years. So seasons is what makes up time. And so the way that you end seasons is the way that you're spending your years. And I'm saying that every season of your life, and, and, and can you bring up the picture of the United States? Because this is going to be really hard for me to put into words otherwise. The way that you end your season is the way that you make up your years. So I want you to think of your one little picture here. This is, this is, this is you down here. This is, this is Miami. It's where we are, right? Like, this is, this is you down here. And I want you to think of the fact that wherever you are in your day-to-day, the way that you end, the way that you end here is going to determine the way that you begin here. The way that you end here is going to determine the way you begin here and so forth. And the bigger picture is all about your seasons. How did you end this job? How did you end this relationship? How, how much are you in the day-to-day, in the details, how are you ending things and how are you beginning things? How are you ending your day? How, how is your relationship with, with your wife at the end of the day? Because that's going to determine how you begin your next day, right? All those little details, beginnings and endings. Did I say goodbye to my child this morning when they left for school? Did I hug my wife this morning? Endings and beginnings. The, every detail of your life. I'm talking about a bigger thing, but the bigger thing is made up of smaller things. Years are made up of seasons. That's what time is all about. Everything we do in seasons. Jesus had seasons, and the seasons of Jesus made up the three years. And what he did in those three years of seasons made up all of history. But it's all about the seasons and the beginnings and endings of things. Much bigger picture. The second week, we we talked about courage. And we talked about courage in the space of Moses. And we said it takes courage to finish strong. So it takes endurance, and it takes courage. And we said courage is really all about the big picture, right? Um, In week two, the message was the big picture. And I, I gave you four things that I believe um, it takes to really pull up. You can pull up the circle, please. Um, four things I believe it, it takes for us to really have the bigger picture, to understand, to understand things spiritually, biblically, prophetically, and practically. That everything, every big decision in your life, and I learned this over the past few months as I was really measuring and weighing, when you start to think about what school should I go to, who should I marry, where should I move to, big decisions that you can't figure out. God is speaking in these kinds of ways. There's a spiritual experience with God. This is where God speaks to us. This is Moses at the burning bush. He has a spiritual experience. Biblically, he calls him back to his father. He says, I'm the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you look back at your history, you will find me there, and it's going to make some sense. And, and practically, he gives him some real steps in how to do this, right? There's some real steps along the way. And then prophetically, there's something that God shows you that only he can do, and he brings it about. So he says, Aaron is on his way. And Aaron, who Moses hasn't seen for years, is coming and is happy. And so God gives him this prophetic word that comes to pass. And so beyond the shadow of that, Moses can be more or less encouraged that he's here in God. Because he's measured it spiritually. He had a spiritual experience biblically. He had a biblical experience prophetically. He had a prophetic experience. And practically, there's some practical steps in the midst of it. Right? This is, this is, this is how you can go about having the courage. The courage to finish strong. And then today, I want to end our series with talking about character. I'm going to talk about character. The title of my, of my message today is, It's All in Your Head. It's all in your head. That's what we, we say to crazy people. It's all in your head. I see something. It's all in your head. Anybody ever had a prophetic vision? Anyone? Two people? Awesome. I'm glad we're a prophetic church. And, and, and how many of you have shared your prophetic vision with someone who has no clue about the prophetic? 
it's all in your head. Like I see, it's all in your head. I see nothing, right? It's, it's, all, it's all in your head. But when I say it's all in your head, um, it's, it's really about perception. It's, it's that perception is everything and it's seeing more of what God sees. Because when you see more of what God sees, it allows you to see more of God. Seeing more of what God sees allows you to see more of God. Seeing more of what God sees allows you to see more of God. If you want to see more of God, you have to start to see what God sees. This is where we come with the divide. This is, this is where churches come with the divide. And are we to seek the face of God's presence? Are we just to seek his presence or are we to seek his mind? Are we seeking the face of God or are we seeking the mind of God? Are we seeking the presence of God or are we seeking the plans of God? And if you pick one or the other, I think you miss both. Because the plan of God without the presence of God is religion. If you're carrying out his plans without his presence, that's religion. If you, if you have his mind without his face, that's religion. But then if you have the face of God without the plans of God, then you just have an experience. All you have is a constant experience that you never connect to his mission, his vision, his strategy. You never get to be a part of what he's doing. And so it's both. It's the face of God and it's the mind of God that we seek. And so when we see more of God, it allows us to join in with what he's doing. My main text today is going to come from Ephesians 3, verse 3 to 19. If you have your Bibles, you could turn there. And this will be short. I don't have a lot. But it's, but it's all about character. It's all about character. Finishing strong is about character. Paul writes, I'm going to read out of the NLT. Paul says, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan. I want you to underline that, his mysterious plan to me. In verse 4, as you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and the prophets. God has a plan. This is... This is almost provocative. God has a plan, and he has not revealed this plan to previous generations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the people who you said, I wish I was them. I wish I could hear God like Abraham. Paul says, God didn't reveal his plan to Abraham. He didn't reveal it to Moses. But Moses saw the face of God. He didn't get the plan of God. He didn't know what God was doing. He he says, God revealed his mysterious plan to me. And in Galatians 4, 4, he says, but when the time has fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The time had come for God's plan to be revealed. God's plan. You remember we started talking about that God exists in this circular form. God is love and God's desire is one thing. If you've been listening to me for the past two years, what is the desire of God here? Anyone, just one person. Huh? Say it again. To what? Yes, for him to dwell with us. One person, pay attention. That's good. My job here is done, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Right? To dwell with us. God's plan from the beginning of time is to produce you and to have a relationship with you. That's his only plan. That love would be the format that creates you. So God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, and out came you. You were birthed out of this love relationship called God. And God's desire from the beginning was to share his love 
globally. God wants to share himself. That's the plan of God. That's what God wants to do. That's why we have the Bible. That's why, that's why God wants to share himself. That's why he created the woman who can plant the seed and create more because God wants to share himself. That's the question people ask, like, like, like why do you have kids? We, we, my wife and I say, like, yeah, we want to have like five or six kids. Like, why do you want kids? Because we understand God's plan and our plan. We want to share ourselves. Like, yeah, I'm sure it's going to help when they're older. They get to take out the trash and clean the kitchen and all that stuff too, right? But that's not why we're having them. Maybe that's why you had them. My mom's not here. Maybe that's why she had me because I remember she had me wash the dishes every day. I figured maybe she just had me because she got tired of washing dishes. But I found out that's not true because she wanted to share herself with me. That's why we have children. That's why, that's why, that's why we have children. There's no other reason, if you think about it. We just want to share ourselves. And that's what God's desire is. God's desire is to share himself with all of humanity And he begins with you. He began with Abraham. And he says, out of Abraham, I'm going to share myself with the entire world. And he begins with you. He says, I'm going to share myself with you. And you're going to share you with other people. And when you share you with other people, you're sharing me. I'm going to share myself with you. And when you share yourself with other people, you're sharing me. And this is God's plan. There's no other agenda in scripture but this. This is why he picks Abraham and he picks the Israelites and then the Israelites, but they didn't know the plan, but they were just a part of the plan. But then Jesus comes at the right time. It says that God's mysterious plan has been revealed. Let's continue reading Ephesians 6. And this is God's plan. If you guys think I'm lying, this is actually what it says. And this is God's plan. Both Gentile and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. So this is God's plan. This is what God wanted to do. God wanted to start with the Israelites and love them incredibly throughout history that no one would deny that God loves the Israelites because they should have been wiped off the face of this earth so many times. If you pick up a history book and read anything about the Israelites, there is no doubt in your mind that these people should not exist. They have been through way too much and there is too few of them for them still to exist. It blows my mind as I read history because they shouldn't be here. God's love for the Israelites is nothing but a miracle. And he says, now, now, God's plan is this, that both Gentile and Jews who believe the good news, which is about Jesus, they share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. That is ridiculous because Jewish people would say, but thousands of years we have followed you. These Gentile dogs now get to be a part of this too. You didn't understand the plan. God's plan was always I'm going to start with the Israelites, but I'm not going to end with the Israelites. I'm going to start with you, but I'm not going to end with you. His plan is that this whole thing goes global. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, go ye therefore into all the world because the love of God, the mission of Christ, the face of Jesus is going global. The power that he rose with, the miracles is going global. That people can hear God, the creator. This whole thing is going global. The kingdom of God is coming. God being in charge is coming into this world. It's going global. That's what it's about. That's what the kingdom is. The kingdom is God in charge coming into the earth. It's going global. All of it. Here we go. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise and the blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. Jesus comes with the ministry of reconciliation, taking all that the Israelites were and all that the Gentiles are. And he's bringing them and he's fusing them together. God's plan was unity amongst diversity. Unity amongst diversity. Every system, if you ever study philosophy, 
Philosophy exists for the purposes of trying to make sense of diversity. The main purpose of philosophy is trying to bring diversity into some kind of unity. That's what the word university means. That's why they send you to school, so that you can learn an array of things and that you would come and try to bring them together in some kind of way that would heal the world. That's why people win the Nobel Peace Prize, because they they try to bring diverse things and make a unity of them. This is why when, when, when there's a reconciliation of nations, because how do we make sense of diversity and make them unified? Both are part of the same body. And both enjoy the promises because they belong to Christ. Verse 7, by God's mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. I'm going to jump down to verse 10. God's purpose in all this was to use the church. That's you. His purpose in this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authority in heavenly places. And next portion says, This was his eternal plan. It means that before the foundations of the world, before anything ever was, before God spoke to Adam, when there was only God and he had the potential with atoms, when the, when the neutrons and the protons were just being circled by the electrons, this was his eternal plan. This was always his plan. I've heard many people say that God has a plan to do other things that doesn't connect to this. This is his plan. His plan is unity. His plan is not to make Gentiles Jews. His plan is not to make Jews Gentiles. He's not trying to make Jews Gentiles, and he's not trying to make Gentiles Jews. He says that his plan is that out of these diverse things, that they would come together and exist in one You guys have your Bibles. I want you to circle this. I want you to read this stuff. His eternal plan, which was carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Verse 18. I'm going to jump to verse 18 here. And, and may you have the power to understand. This is Paul talking to the church now. Now, now when we say church, here, here, here's, the big, here's the big applause portion of this should be in your mind, right? When we say church, he's talking about believers everywhere. People who profess the name of Jesus. People who have been saved by the power of God. That's the church, right? So I don't want you to think bricks and mortar and buildings. I want you to think people. I want you to think body. I want you to think China. I want you to think Africa. I want you to think people. That's the church. So Paul would say that he is, that um, in, in verse 10, he says, God's, God's purpose in all of this was to use the people in Africa and the people in Asia and the people in Europe and the people in America who believe in Jesus, that he would use all those people to display this wisdom because God's love is trying to go global. And it's almost as if God has sent sleeper agents in every single nation. And see, this is why it's not about building because when you start to talk about the globe, the buildings don't even matter. How many of you know that you can't see Dural Vineyard from space? I wish they could. I want to put a big, big, big DV sign on the top so they can see it, but they, but, but, but they can't, right? But, but they're little sleeper agents all over the world who are Christians. And that's what church is. Like that's church. That's the global church, right? In Catholicism, they think it's a Catholic church, but the Bible clearly says that it's believers. So anyone who confesses the name of Jesus is church, whether they have a local church body or not. They are the church, right? Amen? Make sure you guys are with me. All right. So, so he says, um, may you experience, I'm sorry, 
um, that this was his, his eternal plans through, through Christ, our Lord our Jesus. Verse 18, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience, this is him talking to the church, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I'm going to continue. There's no break. There's no divide in these chapters, right? The, the, so, and then he goes into uh, chapter 4. He says, therefore, in view of this, because of God's plan, because of what God wants to do, this is the point where if you were hearing Paul speak and Paul said, God had a plan, and God's plan was that Jews, uh, because Paul is a Baptist preacher, that Jews uh, and Gentiles uh, would come uh, together, right? And, and, and Paul is saying that there's unity. And, 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 and at the end of this, the church would say, all right, Paul, so what do we do? What do we do now? Any intelligent people in the room who hears God, ah, I'm doing this and I want to do this and I want to do this. At the end of it, I'm like, okay, so what do we do? What is the plan? What, are, what ought we to do from here? Because obviously you're saying God has a plan and that the time has come for God's plan to be completed, that he didn't reveal it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and Noah, but he's revealing it now during this time. And I need to know what is my part in God's grand plan. Paul would say, I'm glad you asked. Ephesians 4 verse 1. Therefore, I, a prisoner serving the Lord Jesus, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling because you have been called by God. Come on, come on, wake up here. Listen, Paul gives you something big. He gives you something global. He gives you history and he gives you future. He says, this is what God was doing. This is what God is about to do. And this is who Jesus is. And he says, God wants to bring reconciliation and he's giving you power. He's giving you understanding. And the church would say, Paul, what do we do? Paul says, I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling because you've been called by God. And all of a sudden, the big picture, bring me back to the United States. The big picture crescendos back into one because your picture matters. He says, you need to live a life worthy of your calling because God has a big picture. And all of a sudden it crescendos back again. This picture, today's 9-11. I remember, I think I was in the 10th grade when 9-11 happened. And don't laugh at me, Milling. And, and, I, and I remember not knowing what the heck it was. I had no clue what anything, I had no clue what happened. I was like, yeah, just, it's just another accident. Accidents happen all the time. And I remember my teachers were just weeping and I had no clue because, you know, I, I grew up in Jamaica and, and I don't have, a, you know, I didn't, I don't have a lot of like American history in, in my culture. And, and so like there are things that just weren't like near and dear to me and, and I didn't have history of this. I, I had no clue what it was. And I remember just people were crying and parents were coming to pick up their kids. And my mom didn't come get me because she's like, you know, I'm like, I'm like where, where, where's my mom? I want to go home too, right? And, and I'm there and I'm like, all right. So I remember I was in dance class and I was like, all right, let's play the next song. Let's go. And everyone was like, no, there's the country. I'm like, the country? I'm fine. Let's dance. And I didn't understand what was happening. And over the course of the next few days, I just saw, like, there was, like, sin was eradicated. Do you guys remember that? Do you guys remember when sin was eradicated? Do you guys remember when the kingdom of God came? 
It, 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 took, it took the killing of thousands of people for this to happen. And I remember driving down the street with my cousin through neighborhoods that we weren't privileged to go down. And we were embraced by law enforcement. I wasn't a cop yet. I used to get stopped all the time. And, and, and we used to get embraced by people. Everyone was loving. We went to the mall. It was like, oh, I wasn't a Christian yet, but I was like, oh, maybe God <laughs> somewhere because this is perfect. Like racism had come to an end. You guys remember that? It's beautiful. It was beautiful. This is what it looked like. You guys remember that? This is God's plan. And I think the country can embrace that so much when we see one of our own, when we see many of our own, when it hits home, when it's one of us. Come on, this is why Jesus comes and he becomes one of our own. He becomes one of us. And it's, and it's in the life of Jesus that this thing ought to come back together. So he says, all who has faith in me, if you do your part and you do your part, if you live a life worthy of your calling and you live a life worthy of your calling, he goes into the callings later, but he says, apostle, wake up and stop being a sheep. Prophet, wake up, stop being a sheep. He says, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, because, because you're going to strengthen the body to come and do this thing. And he says, lead a life worthy of your calling because you have been called by God. You've been called by God. It is not, he has empowered you beyond the power that you know you have. He's given you words to speak, but you've chosen to keep your mouth shut. He's given you a passion in your heart that if you would just step out on nothing and let it be into effect and step out on faith, that he will captivate this nation if you do it. If you open up your mouth in your workplace and just say one thing to the person next to you in your cubicle and step out on nothing. It'll happen. Actually act like you're called by God. He says, I, Paul, Paul, Paul doesn't even, he says, I beg you, please live a life worthy of your, pl- I beg you, please, would you just say something? Would you pray for someone? Would you give, would you give that prophetic word? Please live a life worthy of your calling. He's begging them. Why? He says, that's the only way this happens. That's the only way. The bigger picture, the bigger picture, the bigger picture. It gets worse. He's like, all right, live a life worthy of my calling. I'm ready. I'm ready. The the people would say. So Paul's like, all right, God wants to reconcile it. So here's what you got to do. You are called by God. They'll say, what else do we do, Paul? And Paul, Paul says, always be humble and gentle. Humility. That's how, bring me that picture back real quick. That's how this happens. That's how, that's how we see the kingdom come. That's how this unity happens. Be humble and gentle. This guy right here in the middle has to be humble and gentle in, in order for these things to connect because if he's not humble and gentle and he thinks that he's an island of his own, we will never see this formation of this unity of what God wants for us to do. That's why he's awakened in the church, right? And he says, always be humble and gentle. And then some people cheered, but it got quieter. And he says, all right, now be patient with each other. Some people cheered, but it got quieter. Okay, Paul. What about the power and the healing? We heard that Jesus raised the dead. Be gentle with each other. Be patient with one another. Multiplying bread and fish. Be patient with one another. Be gentle. This is the worst one. Make allowance for each other's faults. Because of your love. That gets rid of, I'm just calling it what it is. I'm just saying it like it is. 
And just like this, the room got quiet. <laughs> Come on. Come on. This is, this is the stuff it takes for the kingdom of God to come into the earth. It comes through people. I'm, 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 I love what Nick shared. The power of God. It, it, it doesn't, in the end, you'll see it. He'll come on a cloud. It, it'll be thundering. It'll be lightning. There'll be fire in his eyes. Trust me, you're going to see it. But until then, patience. Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Allow for each other's faults. Until you see the thunder, until the lightning comes, this is how he's coming. You thought that the kingdom was coming. They thought that Jesus was going to take over the Roman Empire and kill people and chop off heads. He said, no, 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 no. Lay down yourself. He, he says, he says if somebody takes your coat, give them your shirt too. Be really, really humble. Lay your life down. Lay your life down. If anyone wants to come after me, he must lay his life down and take up his cross and follow me. If you want to save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for my name's sake, you'll find it. If you just lay yourself down. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the pure in heart. Because the kingdom is coming through them. The kingdom is coming through them. Every little piece matters. Every piece, every piece of this makes a bigger picture. This is going to connect to where we are. And in verse 3 says, make every effort. Everybody say every effort. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Every effort. What do you need to do? Dural Vineyard. What do you need to do? Every effort to be united in the spirit. My wife humbles me so much because she steps out of the places where I cannot believe that I'm so prideful just by watching her and see some of the people who she just apologizes to. Who I'm like, baby, you didn't have to do that because you're making me look weak. <laughs> Don't be apologizing to them. She, she's like, make every effort for the unity. Make every effort. As we were going through this transition and, and, and the church was, my wife was was just, I need to repent to this person. I'm like, but baby, they don't know. Why tell them? It's every effort. Every effort. Who, 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 who is it? She says, every effort. Who, I, I got to call somebody. I got to send a message. I, I got to repent to somebody. There was one lovely sister who, who, who said, listen, I, I, she, who, we had a telephone conversation and something was said. And she called me back and says, I'm sorry. It, it probably sounded misleading. Every effort. And, and it wasn't even this church. It, it was a church overseas. And, 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 I, and I got off the phone. And I was like, ah, oh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't make a phone call like that. And it says, you know, pastor, I, I said something that probably could have been misleading. I just want to clear it up because I said it about another Christian. And I, I, I don't want there to be confusion. I'm like, I would just have left it. I was like, I didn't even remember. And it humbled my heart. Every effort. Every effort. This is how the kingdom comes into the world. It says, bind yourselves together with peace. And here's why. There is one body, there is one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for one future. Because there's only one. And so God's plan is unity in diversity, is my point. And unity in diversity happens only with love. That's what the, that's what the, the university hasn't figured out yet. That's what philosophy hasn't gotten yet. Unity amongst diversity only happens through love. Unity through diversity only happens through love. I, I shared earlier that I, I sit, I, I'm still a police officer. I sit with the police department and we, and we take these classes and we do these courses on how do we get, bridge the racial divide and what is law enforcement. And we're taking these classes. We're, we're taking these silly classes on, on, on how to bring unity amongst diversity. You can't teach people love. 
could try. You get a projector. Like, here's, here's what you do. Point number one, if they say this, you got to do this. And if they say this, you got to do that. And make sure you don't do this. I'm like, you can't teach me love. You can't teach somebody love. You need to be loved. Because it's, it's when you are loved that you can give love away. If you ever want to see unity amongst diversity, it only happens with love. And Paul says, you carry the love of God. You carry it. That's why he's talking to He says, you carry it. He says, you carry the love that it's going to take to bridge these gaps. I don't care how many classes they take. It's going to take love to do it. God's plan was unity in diversity, and only love can do that. I'm going to skip through a, a few verses here. Uh, in, in verse 11, he calls them out. He says, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, these are not gifts. These are people, right? The, he, he says, the, these are the gifts that were given, the people. There were people who were planted in the church globally who were to strengthen us in these things. People who can teach us how to love. This is why I say pray for each other, care for each other. There's people who can teach you, how, teach you patience, who can be patient with you. That's what these giftings are, are for. Verse 13, this will continue until. It says this will continue until. All this has to happen, verse 13, until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then there will, be, there will no longer be immature children. We won't be tossed around and blown by every wind of teaching. We will not be influenced by people trying to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like they're true. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, and more like Christ, who is the head of the body. And I want you to underline that, more like Christ, who is the head of the body. It's all about your perspective. Can you bring me my picture back? It's all about perspective. However you see yourself matters. If you see yourself as a single framed photo on a wall, this doesn't happen. If you see yourself as an abstract art that's so different from everyone else around you, this does not happen. There's no need for you to bear with one another's burden. There's no need for patience. There's no need because that's just the way I am. That's who I am. And I'm not like other people. But Paul says that it happens in this kind of a midst. And so last week I talked about seeing the bigger picture in decision-making and handling the details of your life. And today I'm talking to you about why. Why does it matter? In Leviticus 18, for those of you who love Leviticus and Levitical law, love Levitical law, I think it's 18. In Leviticus 18, where, where God is talking about all of the, the moral sins, towards the end of it, he says, if you, if you don't do this, he says, the land will, will, will become corrupt and it will vomit up the people and they'll be thrown out. He says, if, if, if there's moral corruption, this is where he talks about who you should sleep with and who you shouldn't sleep with. And he goes down that whole list and everybody agrees until it comes to one. But we all agree, right? It's wrong. They're all wrong. And he says, and, and if you do this, the land will throw up the people. I remember reading that verse when my wife and I first got married. And we, we were living here in the city of Doral. And we were living in an apartment complex. And some of our neighbors, we understood, weren't living these kinds of lives. And, and, and I, I, I was always of the, the sect at that point. You know, you, you kind of keep your religion to yourself unless someone invites it. 
You know, like someone has to basically roll over and say, I need Jesus. And then I'll tell them about Jesus, which made no sense. But that was my, that was my philosophy and theology. And I was like, you know, like we don't get into other people's spaces because it doesn't bother us. And it's not my business. And I remember going through Leviticus and it was like, no, 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 no. What you do matters. Your decisions matter. And your decisions matter. And your decisions matter. The decisions you make is going to allow the land to become corrupt. That is going to spit out all the inhabitants. And so my neighbor who's doing whatever they're doing, I can't be like, well, there's a wall that divides us. And so it doesn't matter. God's like, no, no, it absolutely matters. Why? Because of this. If you're all connected, that's what happened on 9-11. Florida wasn't affected. Miami wasn't affected. But we're all connected in such a way that, that it brought us together because the reality is that we are, even if you pretend that you're not, we are. And every single decision matters. This is going to come big circle. When God started creation, it was just God. And then there was an atom. And the atom in the nucleus had the protons and neutrons. And the electrons were surrounded. And, and everything in this room is made up of atoms. And in fact, the only difference be- between my atoms and your atoms is, 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 is just the spacing and the amount. But, but they're all the same, more or less. And, 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 and whatever's happening in my circle affects your circle. So my decisions affect your decisions. In fact, this is how sin works. This is, this, this is why the whole battle between Cain and Abel created something new in the dimension because all of a sudden one person's sin affected another person's sin. I always think about Cain and Abel and I think about their parents, Adam and Eve. For those of you who don't know, Cain wasn't Abel, so he murdered him. And, 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 and what happened here is that Adam and Eve were their parents and they see the first murder that happens and I can't help but think Adam and Eve would have said, we ate that fruit and it concluded to my son being killed and my other son being a murderer. How could you not understand that all of life is connected in such a way because the beginning of a thing is the end of a thing and God is a circle and all things are connected. And if you're not a part of the circle, you could think that you're not a part of the circle, but you are a part of the circle. That's what First Corinthians 13 is talking about. 12, 12, 11, 12, and 13 is saying that you are a part of the body. If an arm says it's not a part of the body, I don't care what you say, you are a part of the body. And the fact that you think you're not a part of the body is ruining the whole body because you're a circle. And if you think that me eating this fruit has no effect on all of eternity, you're missing the point. Paul says, I beg you, live a life worthy of the calling because you've been called by God because everything that you do in your circle matters. But he ends this beautiful passage and he says, Christ who is the head. And, 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 when, and when Paul says that Christ is the head, I want you to think of this when I say, it's all in your head. It's all in your head. If it's only in your head in this room, and it's just what I think and what I do and my means and my interpretation, then you miss it. It's all in your head. But when we, we, when we become the body and we're all interconnected and you understand that my decisions affect another person's decision and you understand that we are one in Christ, he's the head and it's all in your head. And if it's all in your head and you ever feel disconnected, you can go back to the beginning who is Jesus because in the beginning was the word and the word was, was with God and the word was God. You can go back to the beginning and you can chase the beginning of a thing and the beginning of a thing is the end of a thing. So if you get lost in the middle and you feel detached from the body, just go back to the head. And once you go back to the head, the head is the beginning because the head is the control of the body. And if the head is not the control of the body, then baby, you're not a part of the body. It's all in your head. 
It's all in your head. It's all in your head. If it's in your head and only your head, that means that your head is not connected to the head. Our takeaway. I want you to understand yourself in the context of others. I want you to understand your life in the context of others. That's what character is all about. How do you finish strong with character? You understand that I exist in the context of a body, a global body. I exist in the context of others. Loving my neighbor matters not because God says so, because I'm connected to my neighbor. If you miss it, you miss it. God is not giving you a rule and an instruction to love a stranger because he wants you to go to heaven. He's saying, love your neighbor because you're connected to your neighbor. Because, what you, because if your neighbor is weak, then you become weak, weak also. Let me, I'm, I'm going to jump a little here, Darren, if you would. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, the, the human body has many parts. And the many parts make up one whole body. And so it is with the body of Christ. And some of us are Jews and Gentiles. Remember, unity out of diversity. And some are slaves and some are free. This was a crazy university that was happening here. Because you had cultures that were just so different. You had slaves and slave owners together. Right? And so Paul said, we're all a part of one body. But we all have been baptized into one spirit and we all share the same spirit. Verse 14. Yes, the body has many different parts, but not just one. And in the foot, if the foot says, now, the, uh, uh, let me give a little disclaimer here. When I learned this, I learned this in terms of the local body and five or six people. That's how I learned this. I learned about this in the context of a local body, and that the scripture is talking about the local church and the few people who are apostles and pastors and teachers, and that Paul was teaching us about how to function a local church alone. As if Paul is not teaching us about God's big plan, God's master plan, and the body is not the local body. The body is all who profess the name of Jesus, right? So there's a much bigger body. If the foot says that I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. That means that you're still effective. You're just now infected, and you're going to infect the whole body. Because of stinking thinking, because you think it's all in your head, because you're not connected to the head, because it's all in your head. It says, if an ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? No. No. It's just a bad ear. You can't hear anything. And if you can't hear anything, how many of you know that if I can't hear anything, my feet are affected because I could walk out into traffic? And so ear, you need to stop saying that you're not an eye or a hand and get with the game, understand your role, I beg you to act as you were called. By, by the mercies of God, I beg you, live a life worthy of your calling because you were called by God. And if the ear doesn't think that it's an ear, then the whole body is in danger. Let's continue. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, how would it hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would it smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be weird? I think of what part would it be? What's the best part of your body? Your brain? Your, your brain is dead without a skull. 
It's the best part of your body. My hand, it has no use by itself. The whole body was one hand. What part would it be? Unity amongst diversity is the name of the game. Not that we become the same, but that we become connected. Not that we become the same, but that we become connected. Only love can do this. Only love. It is the love of God that holds this body together. I go running and I exercise, but something can happen to me one day. It is the love of God that holds this together because he breathed the breath of life into me. And when he breathed the breath of life into me, it took everything that was laid out on the ground and it brought it to life and it animated it. And he holds all things together. You remember we talked about the protons and neutrons and the spinning and the gravity and the gravity keeps it all together. That's why if you go into outer space, you will burst because you will fall out of the gravitational pool. You will fall out of the circle because God exists in circles and cycles. And if you're no longer in the circle, then you no longer are. And so he holds your entire body together and only love can do that. And God is love. But our bodies have many parts, verse 18. And God has put each part just where it ought to be. Verse 21, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. This is the same thing that that Paul is just after all throughout Ephesians, all throughout Galatians, all throughout Corinthians. In Ephesians 4, verse 16, he says, God makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps other parts grow so that the whole body is healthier. Can you go there for me? It's Ephesians 4, verse 16. There we go. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. See that? Only love can do that, guys. Only love can do that. You think about, and I don't even want you to just think about church. I want you to think about your family. Think about those people in your family who, who like, you're dreading the holidays coming because they're coming. Because they just don't fit. Right? Like Christmas, like, I love you, Jesus, but my, my uncle comes too. You know, like Thanksgiving, like all of them are going to come. You think, think about your job. The person who you wish would just go out for lunch that day and not come to the lunchroom. Think about that one person in your office who just doesn't get it, like who always says crazy things, who you who just wish they wouldn't, who's just really annoying to you. I want you to think about your neighbors, my neighbors, the one who let their dog in my lawn. And think, think about those people. Only love can do that. Only love can take the uniqueness of all of you and piece you together and keep you together. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, not out of a facade, not act like it, not because there's rules to tell you to do it. There's some people I love who I can't stand, and I'm confused. Whatever. As each part of the body does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And so I say to this, every detail of your life matters. How you end a thing matters. 
Because the way you end a thing is the way that you begin a thing. And if you end a thing strong, you will begin a thing strong. And when you are strong, your body is strong. Your neighbors are strong. When you don't end with an attitude and you begin new relationships with an attitude, when you come out of seasons and enter into seasons with this ebb and flow of what God is doing, your personal seasons make up a bigger season called a year. And that bigger year makes up a bigger time called a decade. And that decade multiplies and it's called your life. And when you leave a legacy behind, it's all based on your little seasons and your little decisions that you make every day when you wake up, when you go to sleep, what you allow yourself to think, what you feast on, those thoughts that you think that they shouldn't be in your mind and you refute them and you let them go because everything matters. Every detail matters because that's my character. And if I finish strong, I can begin strong and the body will be strong. God has a plan and you all are a part of it. Your role in God's plan is that your laid down life would make the whole world know the love of God. That's why Paul says, be humble, be gentle in your relationships with one another. And this means that everything, absolutely everything matters. So character is determined by how much you see beyond yourself and your self-interest. Character is how much you can see beyond yourself and your self-interest. Character. This is how you develop character. How much can you see beyond yourself and your self-interest? How much can you see, how much of the picture can you see beyond yourself and beyond your self-interest? This is what Jesus calls us to. That's what develops character because I understand how much I fit into the body. And if you need some character today, this is, this is how you know. This is how you know. Here we go. How connected are you to the head? This is the question I want you to ask yourself personally. How connected are you to the head, which is Christ? How connected are you with that? How are you connected with what he wants to do, with who he is, with his ways, with his laws, with his nature? How connected are you? Go, go, go through scripture and look at who Jesus is and how much of this am I really connected to? How much of the head are you really connected to? And when you know how much of the head you are connected to, it, it, you understand your character by how in sync you are with the body. How in sync are you with the body? If there's a part of my body that is not connected to my head, you will immediately know it because it's not in sync. It's what happens when, you, when someone has a stroke. There's no longer a connectivity with the brain. It's, it's disconnected from the head and that body part. You can immediately tell that something has happened because it's becoming paralyzed, it's becoming stuck, it's no longer flowing. It doesn't have the ebb and flow with the mind, with what the mind wants to do. It has, it, it has gone rogue. It's on its own. So how connected are you to the head? Because it's only when you're connected to the head that you will have the character to see the rest of the body. I want to give you one picture and then we will go. Here's the picture. My toe. My toe in my shoes has no clue about what the rest of my body is doing. Has no clue. 
if you feel like a toe, and this is such a much bigger picture. This is, again, I, I'm teaching this not because I think the time is ready in, in the understanding and in the diction, but I think that the time is ready in the season, in the spirit of what God is doing here. And, and, and my toe, if my toe ever wants to get a clue as to what, is, what its role is and what is really happening, right? Basically, what the nerve endings are doing, they're sending information back and forth, right? So there's a connectivity with my brain, and, and they're deciding, hey, he wants to go left, and so the toe starts to do its thing. He wants to go right, and my brain is determining it, right? And all this happens like, it's like lightning. It's happening so fast. But let's say those things weren't there, and, and my toe wanted to find out what is going on in that head. Here's what would have to happen. The closer my toe pulls back from the ground and just pulls closer to the head, it changes its perspective. I want you to imagine that, that if there weren't connectivity and my toe was rogue and it was its own thing, if it needed to find out what was going on up here without connectivity, I would need to pull it up here to say, look, this is why we're doing it. This is, this is why we're doing it. This is, this, is, this is why we're moving around toe because we're talking to these people. This is why you're jumping. This is why. And Toe, I want you to look at these lives who are, who, who are being impacted and changed. I want you to look at these people who this whole body has touched. I want you to see it. Do you see it now, Toe? Does it make sense to you now, Toe? All right, good. Now go back down there and continue being a Toe. And with that perspective, my Toe comes out of being rogue because now it understands its function in the body. And so it's all in your head. It connects to the head. You come back to Christ. You come back to your beginning. Jesus, who are you and what are you doing? Because I got stuck in the middle somewhere. I'm losing sight and it's become all about me. One of those pictures, bring my state back up, please. One of those pictures, the only thing that picture needs to do is to pull out from itself because the moment it pulls out from itself and it turns around and it sees the rest of this, it's like, I better get back in line and get back in this picture and quit being crazy because I'm ruining the country that men have died for. So you pull out just enough to see it. Okay, I remember now. I get it. Fall back into place, soldier, and play your role and act your line. Connect to your head. You are part of a bigger body. God has put you here for a purpose. You are unique in your role. You are. He has gifted you. He has called you. He has invested in you. Men have died for this, and they didn't get it. Adam died for this, and Adam didn't know what he was here for. Abraham and Noah and Sarah. Hebrews 11 talks about these people seeing it but not being able to reach it, but you are able to reach it because you have the love of Christ.